I can't never stop working hard. Each day I feel I have to improve. Hard work, determination. I've got to keep pushing myself. Welcome to Haya, the only podcast with fewer teeth than fingers. Episode 12 recorded July 20th. Oh, speak up. Jump in there. Starts now. <laughs> okay, folks. Boy, this has been a disaster trying to put it together. Uh, and we're still having some technical difficulties. Difficulties. But we do have a great guest online for you, and hopefully you'll be able to hear him when all this is said and done. We're going to try it anyway, though. Real quickly, before we get started, I just want to say hi to my uh, co-host of the Flavor of the Month, uh, co-host of the week, uh, Aaron Martin. Hello, everybody. Visiting from California. He does, uh, he does Bagua. He does uh, a bunch of other stuff, some Persian martial arts, and maybe we'll chat with him a little bit about that uh, soon. Sure. So... Um, all that being said, do you have anything to add to the introduction to the show here? Uh, just, just bring in my hellos from California. All right. Okay, well, yeah. hello, hello, Shaka from California, baby. What's up, man? Shaka, bro. So coming up here in just a second, we have Stephen Kop- Kopfer. He is the uh, head of the uh, American Sambo Association. He's a fighter, uh, coach, and uh, sometimes fight promoter. So we're going to get a lot of information about uh, the current state of MMA and other sporting martial arts and some of the issues they're having right now, some of the things that are going well for them. Awesome. So that should be a lot of fun. Sorry, folks, if I sound a little haggard. This has been one of those episodes that has required a trip to Radio Shack starting an hour late. Uh, we've got a party bearing down on us, which, <laughs> as, as you probably know, every episode of Hi-Ya is a party. Most definitely. But we've actually invited other people to this one, so uh, we need to try to get on schedule here. But what we're going to do is just quickly dip into the champagne lounge and try to rub some of this stress off. And uh, we'll be right back after a musical interlude with Stephen Copper. We're back from the Champagne Lounge, and we have our esteemed guest, Stephen Kopfer. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Um, pretty close. It's It depends if you want to say it in German or English. But, uh, yeah, Kepfer, like a silent O, okay. is how most people pronounce it. Kepfer, got it. All right. Well, we're glad to have you in the studio here with us. Uh, I know you're the president of the American Sambo Association, and... Uh, have a lot of other credentials to your name so why don't you go ahead and you'll probably do a better job than me at uh getting out to the people what you're all about sure um well my name is steve kepfer i'm the president of the american sambo association like you said and uh my gym is called new york combat sambo and we're in midtown manhattan and we're just coming up to our 10th anniversary actually so been running the gym for about 10 years congratulations Thank you. Yeah, awesome. it's it's not easy. Anybody in this business knows you don't you definitely don't run a martial arts gym to get rich. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. So 
<laughs> yeah. Um, so, but we're coming up on 10 years, and um, I've been doing Combat Sambo for about 13 years. And before that, I actually did um, Sanchao and Kung Fu, mm. which is a little more familiar to you guys. Yeah, that dovetails nicely with our stuff. Indeed. And um, and prior to that, it was you know kind of like a lot of youth. I was doing Taekwondo, and then go all the way back to when I was seven or eight back in the 70s my mom started me in Shotokan so it's been pretty much a long martial arts road and um, that got me to where I am today uh, running the gym and running the association yeah it's amazing how that pattern seems to repeat so often people start out in martial arts with whatever happens to be next door in the strip mall (laughs) and it's usually some form of karate or taekwondo and then their interests if they stick with it they get more interested in different aspects and branch off from that not to knock those arts, it's just they're so ubiquitous that almost no matter where you wind up, you start there. Right. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, my I got into Shotokan first because my mom was a professor at City University, and they just had a, a club there, so she kind of deposited me in the Shotokan club, you know? Uh, a little Shotokan but, babysitting? Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I probably, she I remember it being really quick, but she says it was for about two years, but it it really didn't do much for my martial art development other than just plant the seeds of interest, you know, right. that I picked up later on as a teenager. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, after you got into the combat sambo and all that stuff, uh, you've competed. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your uh, your history of competition? Sure, or, sure. Or in the I, late uh, Thai stuff, too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm not the most experienced competitor out there. I was, you know, I, I probably... 50-50 win-loss record, you know, I'm not great, but I've been out there and understand a little bit what it feels like. So, um, you know, I mean, outside of the, the Taekwondo years when we were doing a lot of the Olympic-style stuff and um, mm-hmm. point sparring and things like that, sort of my competition history moved along this track, sort of what I call like a practicality track or something. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like started out really point sparring oriented and then sort of when I got into Kung Fu, before I even did Sanshao, I, I did some of those semi-contact tournaments, which I actually found to be more dangerous than the full contact ones huh. because uh, people just really were either overdoing it or underdoing it. It was just the, the whole concept right. of light contact was weird. Right. So yeah. I was disqualified a bit for excessive contact. So Hey, I've uh, only been in one tournament, but that's exactly how I left the building, too. So. <laughs> So I thought yeah, you had to hit somebody hard enough for them to notice it for it to score a point. Yeah, exactly. Until they complain and say, but that was too hard, yeah, you know? Yeah. But, um, you know, and I did a little bit of NASCA, North American Sport Karate Association stuff back in the days. Yeah. And then, um, then in 97, I actually went from, I kind of made the big leap from the point sparring stuff right into full contact, uh, what we would call today like a MMA fight back then. It was really a shooto rules fight, you know, with full contact, kicking, punching, grappling, the whole mm-hmm. thing. And I just kind of dove in and, you know, I lost that fight, but it really kind of woke me up into like, wow, okay, well, that's really what fighting is all about, you know? So yeah. right. um, then I started to train a lot more seriously. And then um, I did the, in 97, I fought at in Jeff Bolt's tournament, which was down in Florida in Orlando, mm-hmm. and uh, was a finalist in that one. 
uh, had four fights in there. And to be honest, I didn't fight a lot. That was my only Sanchao experience. Okay. And then, um, you know, at that point, I was helping a lot of other guys on the the team where where I was at the time here in the city, New York Kung Fu and Kickboxing. And uh, I was also around that time starting to think I wanted to move on to another gym. And I found uh, Combat Sambo in 99. Hmm. Um, so, and then along along that line, I started uh, dabbling in grappling too. You know, that we did a little bit of sort of stand-up grappling in, in Kung Fu, little like real little basic, you yeah. know, sort of yeah. sweeps and trips and things like that. And I, and I really liked it. And even in the, in the Sanchao tournament, I was just sort of naturally doing throws that I hadn't learned in, you know, in my training. And it, it sort of just came naturally to me. And so I started gravitating towards that. And, um, you know, I competed in the first Grappler's Quest, which was 1998, uh, the Gene LaBelle World Grappling Challenge in 1998. That oh, was yeah. in uh, Toronto. And then, then 99, I moved over to Sambo. It, it, it fit my interests better. And I've been doing that ever since. Excellent. Did you ever get to meet Judo Gene? Yeah, I've met him a few times. He's really cool, man. He's, he, he's really funny. He seems like quite a character from everything I've seen of him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I haven't earned the patch, though. I didn't let him choke me out, so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's not too late. <laughs> no, no, he's still around, man. I, I saw him. The last I saw him was a USA Wrestling had for a brief while tried to um, do Sambo tournaments. And so we went to the USA Wrestling Nationals in Vegas in 2007. And he and uh, Goker Chevichian had a, a team there. And um, I got to hang out with him a little bit there. And he was really funny, just always cracking jokes, you know, just yeah. really, really very cool guy, man. Awesome. Well, um, all right, let's, uh, let's move along now. Uh, another thing I just want to drop in here real quick as a callback is uh, you found us, uh, you found the podcast via your buddy Aaron Fields. And right. anytime we have a chance to mention his name or, or quote him, we we jump <laughs> on it. He's quite the iconoclast. Uh, yeah. So we'll just say again for public consumption, we loved having that guy on, and hopefully we'll talk to him again in the future. But oh, uh, Aaron, Aaron's awesome, man. He he's so funny. He is so funny. <laughs> yeah, he had us rolling on the floor when he was in. Um, <clears throat> but don't worry, we won't hold you to that high standard because we don't hold ourselves <laughs> to it either. <laughs> yeah. Um. So uh, let, let's move along into part of what got us onto this, this, uh, this tangent here is uh, you, you sent us a couple of articles that you'd written recently um, mm -hmm. to the High Off Facebook page because you thought we might be interested, and we were. Um, let's, uh, let's start off with the harder part of this first. There's, there's been, uh, now again, it's not that frequent, but there's been right. a lot of, uh, there's been an, uh, an uptick in injuries um, in some of these martial sports, uh, MMA in particular, um, and you pointed out in these articles that that regulation was was very, uh, I don't want to say spotty, but it was very different. It was not as as uh, advanced as say boxing regulation or whatever. And in some cases, in amateur MMA, people were being knocked out and allowed to fight a, a few weeks later. No doctors, you know, right. issues like that. So. Why don't you go ahead and give us an overview because I'm walking all around it and not quite hitting the nail on the head. Okay. Here. Well, I, yeah, I had sent you two articles. One one was an editorial I wrote. Uh, one was just an article about an event I had taken part in. But um, right. Well, the, I, I'll bring right. I'll bring us back to that afterwards. Yeah, yeah. The 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 one that the editorial that I sent you that I thought you might want to cover in your news section 
was about um, the unfortunate death of an amateur fighter named uh, Dustin Jensen. He died last month. Mm-hmm. And um, That's ironically, uh, from the, South Dakota, right? From, yes. And South Dakota is one of the two states that doesn't have, does not have an athletic commission that oversees combat sports. Oh. So it's sort of like the Wild West over there. Even for, like, boxing, there's no amateur yeah, boxing? Yeah, even for boxing or wow. for anything. They don't have... Okay. The other the other state's Alaska, so... Okay, you know, wow. that tells you uh, something, yeah. 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 Uh, all the other states do. Um, so this was a, a amateur, and I use the term amateur lightly, loosely, because um, there's not a real clear definition as to what amateur MMA is and is not, In uh, if you were to go across all the various states um different states consider amateur mixed martial arts differently um but in uh, but it's not it's not the classical definition of you know you're amateur until you start getting paid for it basically well with the olympics you know even that's fuzzy now but uh supposedly you're not supposed to make your living (laughs) at it (laughs) yeah the olympics you know the whole you know well that's a whole nother interesting story about the whole amateur olympic olympian uh concept because you know the 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 whole nature of the modern Olympics being made amateur was really to prevent. Um, it was it was a rich white man's sport, mm-hmm. and uh, they didn't want like local fishermen entering the rowing competitions. So they and kicking their butts <laughs> that it had to be amateur. <laughs> so uh, so they they could win basically, you know. And then that sort of evolved to what we have today. Okay, but um, but regarding mixed martial arts. Um, when I say uh, it, it's not agreed upon as to what is and what is not amateur, I'm, I'm referring to rules and how much regulation there is or even if there is any regulation. Right. I mean, generally speaking, yeah, the, you get paid, you're a professional, you don't get paid, you're an amateur. But even some states will consider, say, for example, if an amateur show covers the travel and hotel of a fighter that comes, they'll consider that payment. Okay. So uh, oh, it is, it is a, a really gray area, but... Uh, in South Dakota, there is there's no area, so it's uh, there's no there's no jurisdiction that covers that. So this show was amateur, assuming that the guys didn't get paid, right? Right. And um, uh, in in short, what happened is the the young man tapped out to a triangle choke during his fight, and. He was fine after that. You know, he tapped out and just started watching the rest of the fights that were after his. And two fights later, he had a seizure, Whoa. Um, was taken into the hospital. He had to be put in uh, into an induced coma. Um, they tried to do surgery to, um, you know, ad- address the, the bleeding. And uh, he apparently had some cerebral edema and swelling and things going on. And then wow. uh, about 10 days later, he died while he was in the coma. And there now, was very. Was, go ahead. Was the uh, was the cerebral edema, whatever they found, you know, wrong with him? Was that a res- that that wasn't a result of being choked out, was it? Yeah. Well, that's that's what's interesting because all the other deaths and all the I say all the other as if there were multitudes of them, but he's only the third uh, person. Not to minimize the death, but he's only the third person to. Um, to die as a result of an MMA fight in the United States. Yeah, we don't want to make this sound like we're saying, oh, it's the most dangerous thing you could go out and do. It's probably a lot safer than playing college football, you know. 
Uh, yeah, especially on the professional level, the regulation is is very tight. Good. Um, yeah. Amateurs are very different, but uh, yeah. So he he did die from the choke, or at least that's what everybody assumed. And it, but it didn't really make sense because nobody had ever seen anything like that before. The other two deaths were as a result of strikes, head blows, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. then there was a, a fourth death of an American. This was the first credited death, and that was in an unregulated show in Ukraine. Um, and he died from head blows as well. Okay. Um, but three here in the United States. And, and you know, we're talking about regulation, but the other two were on regulated shows. You know, now how much regulation went on is, is a different issue, but they were shows that were done under the uh, umbrella of a, of a commission. Right. Well, what are some of the things regulation tries to do to minimize this? Is it about how soon they can fight again after a knockout? Is it, is it about sure. uh, you know how quickly they get pulled out by the ref if things go the wrong way? You know how quickly right. the fight stopped if it's obvious that they've lost. Um, well, you know, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, what what we have like if you, if you look at professional mixed martial arts, that's all fairly standardized, you know. Uh, mandatory suspensions. Like for example, I had a I have a pro fighter who just fought a couple of weeks ago, and um, he lost the decision, but he took some shots, you know, some elbows in the process. It's a really close fight, but um, he just got a mandatory thirty day suspension for the three or four shots that he did take. You know, okay. Uh, a, a more serious KO or ground, you know, like a tap out to ground and pound or something like that, you could get as much as 90 days, depending on how bad it is. Okay. Um, and one of the things I mentioned in the article that I wrote is that, for example, USA Boxing, who had, you know, they have a standard for amateur. Right. Um, they'll, they'll determine whether it's 90 days or higher based on how uh, long the, the person who was knocked out is unresponsive. So it, it's usually, a, it, according to them, it's a two-minute guideline. So over two minutes, you'll get actually 120 days suspension. Okay. And you can't return to fighting until after you get an MRI, you know, to make sure everything's right. okay. Mm -hmm. um, now that sounds so reasonable it, to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and on the professional level, you have to do all, in mixed martial arts, you have to do all that stuff before you get approved to fight, too. So... When you go as a professional to a state that's regulated, which is just about all of them, except for New York and uh, Connecticut right now, right. Uh, with states with commissions. Um, for example, in New Jersey, you have to go and you have to do a series of blood tests you know, for HIV, Hep B, Hep C. Oh, wow. You have to do a, a MRI to rule out any you know, potential Your problems, brain. and uh, you have to get a physical. And... All you know, and just and so there have been several instance, instances where fighters have discovered you know completely unrelated medical conditions that they've had huh. because of the pre-fight testing. Right, I and, can see um, that. Seems wise. So none of that goes on for amateur stuff. Uh, some states, for example, New Jersey has uh, probably in terms of amateur mixed martial arts the most strict regulation. Uh, they don't do all the CAT scans and MRIs, but they do have all the fighters get a, a physical within within 30 days of the fight. And um, they also have to get HIV, hepatitis C, and B blood tested and, you know, some basic stuff. Yeah. And then right before the fight at the event, you have to be checked out by the doctor. 
um, which is another area that's very inconsistent, is what what is considered a fight doctor in uh, in New Jersey, for example. You, the doctors have to have a background in trauma medicine, and, and uh-huh. uh, in fact, New Jersey right now is the first state to be starting a fellowship specifically for for post uh, uh, for medical residents. Mm-hmm. In uh, combat sports medicine, oh, yeah. but other great. in other states, yeah, it's very cool. That was the the train. The first uh, symposium I went to was for that. The, that was the launching of that program. But in other states, it's literally just a call list of any doctor who wants to volunteer to be a, a ringside physician, and that could be anything from a gynecologist to an internist to a pediatrician, and they have oh, may right. not have any experience whatsoever. Got it. Um, and they're just moonlighting for extra money, or happen to be interested yeah, yeah. in fights. And sure, I mean there was there was an amateur, there was a fight in Florida last year, a, a kickboxing fight where an amateur fight where a, a woman died at the fight. Um, there was no ambulance at the event, and it turned out that the Florida regulation said that uh, you didn't need to have an ambulance at the event if the event was within, I think it was within a mile of the hospital or something like that. Huh. So there was there was no ambulance there for her, and that delayed. You know, I don't know if that um, was she fighting or was she just in the in the no, audience. She, no, she was fighting. She was a kickboxer. Okay. okay. She was a kickboxer. Um, and so I don't. We don't really. I don't really personally know what the situation was with this show in in South Dakota, but I'm sure it was not very. Um, you know, not very uh, strict. You know, right. I mean, I've been to shows, for example, Virginia, we've been to amateur shows in Virginia where the rules are the unified rules, the professional rules. Okay. The only difference is they give them, uh, you know, thicker gloves and shorter rounds. Huh. Um, but well, that, that, that was going to be one of my questions. Uh, as long as we're on this, would holding them to those professional rules, would that be uh, would that? Would that be above and beyond the capabilities of these amateur organizations to do, or would it be something that they could fairly easily incorporate if they wanted to? Or does it drive the cost way up for putting on the event? Does you know that sort of thing? Well, cost is always a factor, and it, you know um, the rules. The rules are almost a, a separate debate. I mean, in in terms of some states have more strict rules for amateurs and some states don't like like i was saying virginia has very liberal rules for amateurs right um and new jersey has very strict and then there are other states like ohio for example that are somewhere in the middle you know uh so in virginia you could do full-on elbow strikes everything you know knees to the head whatnot ground and pound on the ground everything for amateurs uh in new jersey the most strict state, and a lot of the new northeastern states kind of follow New Jersey's lead, is on the ground. There's no head contact at all, um, hmm. and you know, standing. There's no knees to the head, and then there's no elbows. You know, they kind of take out some of the more dangerous things. So that you, you know, can't even ground and pound in that. If you if you're on top of the guy on the ground, you can't punch him in the face. No, you can't. Okay. Not in not in Jersey and and in uh, so Pennsylvania. It just, it just converts to more of a pure grappling game once you're on the ground. It definitely favors the grapplers, that's yeah. for sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, the, there's a whole separate strategy that you build into winning a fight under those circumstances. I mean, I've heard you guys talk about in your other shows, you know, that everything de- depends on the context of the fight. So when you're mm-hmm. really looking at those rules, you know, we're, we're looking at 
for example, mount is not a very practical position because you can't hit the the face. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're working a lot of side control positions where we can knee the body and knee the shoulders and mm -hmm. and, and do things like that. Mm -hmm. Okay. But um, yeah. But so Dustin Jensen's fight was um, I'm not sure what the rules were. What I don't even think it. I don't know who sanctioned it. If there was some kind of sanctioning body, I, I don't really know much about it. Um, what we do know is that he fought four times in three and a half months, uh, the fourth fight being the one after which he died. And um, about two months before the one in which he died, he was seriously, seriously knocked out very badly. Uh, you can see the, the video on the article I sent you. Yeah. And he was, he was unresponsive for about the last minute and 20 seconds of the video, which is a pretty long time. Yes. Uh, so in a state where there had been regulation... Uh, he probably would not have been allowed to have fought in the the fight after which he died, you know. So it, it's really sad when you when you think about that, you know. Um, and the autopsy report from the coroner actually just came back uh, last, like literally a few days ago, not even a week ago, a week ago, and uh, they said it was done by a coroner, not a medical medical examiner. Okay. Um, so I'm not sure the qualifications of who did the autopsy, but they did say. The death was due to blunt force trauma to the head uh, approximately a week prior to his death, which would line up to the fight. But mm -hmm. he didn't go as far as saying that he could prove that it happened during the fight, but put two and two together and, you know, right. you can figure it out. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, it's really sad. And then on top of it, with that show, the promoter was also the, the guy's coach. Um, Oh, wow. So there's a bit of a conflict of interest there. Um, yeah. You know, there's there's a whole lot of issues that are brought up with this. Is like uh, the unqualified nature of a lot of coaches who've been watching too many episodes of The Ultimate Fighter, you know, and and uh, think that it's easy to train somebody for something like that. I mean, this kid had been training less than a year total in martial arts. Oh wow! Yeah, and to fight four times back to back, especially with a knockout like that in the middle, I just. It seems like anybody who's even following the the state of research on head trauma nowadays from all these other sports where it factors in would would know yep. that's not a good idea. But yeah, yeah. Again, I, and again, we you know I don't want to get into legal territory here, but it, it definitely there could be a conflict of interest if you're pushing a guy to fight and you're making money off every one of those fights. Mm. Yeah, and I think it's you know that's one of those areas that is uh, it's an ethical area that. Um, you know, there's no rule book that says you can't do it, you know, but right. I know we, we used to promote shows here in uh, New York City, not mixed martial arts shows, but kickboxing and uh, some other stuff we did for a couple of years, myself and my partner. And we never put our own guys on, on those cards. Just it was a general rule. We just don't do it um, for several reasons, even if we're the most ethical and fair uh, players when it comes to the matchmaking and everything else just just the possibility of somebody accusing you of of biased behavior is is not good for right. a promoter so yeah. the the appearance of impropriety as they say yes yeah 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 um, so uh, the the in the end the, the amateur mma world is sort of our our shadow you know the sports shadow because there's very little oversight and regulation and unlike most sports we're sort of going backwards you know no holds barred came around right. in the early '90s, and then they sort of refined the rules to what we now have as mixed martial arts. Mm -hmm. And now they're trying to re-engineer 
they meaning the people of the of the community are trying to re-engineer an amateur version of the sport so we're sort of taking it backwards you know because huh. the sport started i mean if you saw tito ortiz's retirement speech he said look i'd never been an amateur when i started fighting it was like boom right into the ufc yeah um so okay. You know, it's it's a gray area. But, and but at that lot. point, none of those people were training professionally for that environment. They were all amateurs. They just happened to be have, have a have a purse they were fighting for. So I guess that made them professional. You know, exactly, exactly. Um, and I think a large part, and this is just my opinion. You can correct me if if I'm wrong, but I think a large number of the changes that have occurred in MMA over the last you know 15 or 20 years are in part because of the just the professionalization of it. And yeah, also, yeah, the, those very early, you know, the first couple where the Gracies were owning everything, it was just simply a new game to the people they were fighting, you know? Right. Yeah, once, well, it was, it was a great marketing plan yeah. on the part of the Gracies, for sure. And, you know, once other fighters figured out what kind of game was going to be played and developed counters for it, et cetera, et cetera, it, it, it suddenly became, you know, you're not going to put a 175-pound guy in there and have him beat a 220-pound guy that knows the same kind of material, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So you know, it's it's like anything else. So the the, it's evolved and it's matured and um, and it's more regulated than boxing and 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 a lot of other you know in terms of what's required medically for for the fighters and things like that. So on the professional level, we're completely on the right track. You know, it's still work to be All done, good but there. yeah, <laughs> the amateurs uh, definitely are lagging behind. So let's put this over into the individual martial artist uh, camp. If you're uh... If you're an amateur or you want to be an amateur mixed martial arts fighter, or let's say you do Sambo or Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or, or something that you want to test out in that environment, not necessarily wanting to go pro, but you want to do a few fights. Right. What can you do to, to protect yourself? You know, how, how can you find out what the rules are in your area? How can you find a good promoter? How can you know if somebody's looking out for your health and your best interest? You know, what, what does a, a fighter need to be aware of as, if they're coming into this green? Well, the first thing I would say is to get a qualified coach. Um, you know, in terms of your training, uh, get somebody who's experienced and or at least has some understanding of, of what you're going to do. From the regulation side, you can go to the uh, Association of Boxing Commission's website. Okay. And they have the directory for the commission of every state and tribal authority in the United States and Canada and then find the person the, the find the commission that's in your region and you call them directly and say what what's your deal with you know amateur MMA you know how much oversight is there what's required there's nothing there's nowhere online that will compare this stuff for you right so it's um it's really about being an educated consumer at mm -hmm. this point yeah and and that includes being educated about who's training you for the fight um and, and and all that kind of stuff because the best of intentions have gotten a lot of people hurt you know right so it's, well, it's what, really what would uh you know going to the website doing all that research i think everybody can get their head around that but if you if you aren't really sure what you're looking for in a qualified coach i mean is he going to have a license right. on his wall is it reputation do you need to right. you know do you need to figure it out how do you figure that out well um yeah there's there's no license I mean, for example, I mean, it, it, there are licenses, but it doesn't really mean anything. <laughs> right. It's like the AKC. So, you just send them a check and, uh, and fill out exactly. a piece of paperwork and suddenly you're licensed. <laughs> yeah. You're I mean, I have, I have licenses in several states and it was just a matter of 
paying the money and you know it, in, if it's a state ID then they're they're more concerned about like uh, you're not being a deadbeat dad you know they'll do a background check on you to make sure you're not you know owing alimony or child support or whatever mm-hmm. and then as long as and you don't have a criminal record and right. you pay your fee and then you get your license but there's no state commission that is going to ask you what your experience is, is before you get a license to be a corner man in a fight. Um, so what are so some things you, that people should look for? Yeah, so I would say look for one, uh, other people that have fought from that gym or martial arts school. You know, see who fought there. See the reputation of the place. Um, you know, the Internet's a powerful thing. You know, you can... You can pretty much find anything about anybody right now, but I would definitely, first thing, look at the history of, of that gym and, and the fighters that they've put into fights. The second thing is that I would not, I you know, before, this is my personal opinion, even when somebody comes to my gym, they say, oh, I want to fight. Mm-hmm. And then I say, well, it's going to be at least a year before that happens, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to sort of, gauge how a coach handles you when you come into a gym because unfortunately a lot of coaches are more interested about making a name for their gym and putting somebody into a fight card than they are about making sure that that person's ready to be in a fight card right you know the the fight business is full of uh unethical people unfortunately there's a lot of great ethical people too but you have to really be careful about who you get involved with yeah. So well, it's, definitely, yeah, it's the same thing yeah. with martial, you know, kung fu teachers. Everybody, when they go to the first one, they expect them to be a saint that glides in, you know, <laughs> on a cloud. And, and half the time, <laughs> yeah. we're just thugs and beer drinkers, just like everybody else. Yeah, you gotta. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's all the same. It's it, it's yeah. all the same. I've I've listened to your show and a lot of other shows, and you know, and and on the forums and stuff, and and there's this sort of uh, distinction that people make between traditional martial arts and you know like say MMA for example right but i i kind of don't like that dichotomy because like for example i look at sambo and somebody might say that that's not a traditional martial art i think it's very traditional yeah. i mean you know we it we're like uh, about 100 years old and we've been around for a long time and there's a lot of sort of cultural traditions that go into into what we do and i i i look at the distinctions between martial arts that have a sport aspect and that don't have a sport aspect, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But and the, the end result is you're going to find uh, kind of shysters wherever you go. Exactly. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and unfortunately, there really is no easy way to, to guarantee that somebody's on the level. It does, like you're saying, it takes, you got to do it your own leg work and homework. And, and you, you know, know, go to the gym. If you, if you know that you want to fight and you go to a gym and say, hey, who else here has fought? And then they say, oh, nobody. They say, oh, okay, well, I don't know if I want to be the, the first one, you know. Yeah, the, the <laughs> or if they, if they do have fighters, go, go watch. Go to the fights. Mm-hmm. See how the coach handles themselves. I mean, at, I was just at, there was a show in Philadelphia that last weekend that we just had a guy fought, and he won a close decision. And, um, you know, you, I, we were in our fighters area, and it's incredible how many coaches don't know what they're doing and don't have the right supplies with them. I I was asked to, for example, tape at least four different fighters' hands for them because the coaches didn't know how to do it. Oh, wow. I had, and this happens almost at every every uh, amateur show. It's less so at the professional level, but at the amateur levels, you you have a lot of guys who 
don't know how to tape hands. One one uh, team had to borrow my bucket, my ice bag, my Vaseline, my like everything. They didn't bring anything. Oh. You know, it's like, and you see this at the amateur shows and in, in the behind the scenes in the fighter prep areas. There are always like a handful of coaches that are running around trying to get stuff because they've never done it before. They're just winging you know it. I mean? Yeah. They're just winging it. You know, they're like, hey, I'm, we're going to put this guy in a fight. You know? Sound good. Well, and would you think it's. Sorry, would you think it should be a requirement to coach that you have competed before yourself? Because it sounds like if they can't tape hands, then they've never even been in the ring. Well, yeah, that's a debate. What should a coach have competed or not? I mean, you don't I have to, to be the best in the world, but to yeah. experience the process from the inside, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's true. But but I, I think that that's always makes a better coach is if you've had competitive experience. But. Um, Taping hands, for example, is a skill that you have to practice. You could have your hands taped a thousand times, and, not know and you're still going to be really horrible at taping somebody else's hands. Hmm. Uh, taping hands is like uh, sculpting. You know, everybody's hand is different, and you literally are sculpting around somebody's hand. So it's about practice. Right. Okay. Um, nobody expects you to be perfect in the beginning, but there are workshops and classes and things. Right. I advise all MMA coaches, even if you never plan on uh, – training a boxer to join USA Boxing and take their, their boxing uh, coach's credential class. Uh -huh. Because in, in USA Boxing, uh, you are not allowed to put a fighter in a USA Boxing card unless you have gone through this class as a coach. Hmm. It's required. Right. And then um, and so the level, they have a four-level program. And level one means I took the basic class, which goes over, you know, basic first aid, signs of concussions, uh, how to teach, teaching methodologies, like all, you know, basic cool. things. It's, yeah. it's an all-day all day program. And then you can only move up to level two once you've actually had somebody in a, in a show, in a small regional show. And then, you know, basically it's a four-tier system that, if you go to level four, which most people don't because that's international level coach, okay. but if you do go to four, level four, you know, you have to go to Colorado Springs, the Olympic Training Center for like a month and train there. And, and you know, they have a very serious um, system into how coaches can get trained. So for professional boxers, by the time a coach takes somebody to pro, they've already gone through, gone, excuse me, gone through that's all right. this. Yeah, I hit my own microphone. Yeah, it's okay. We've <laughs> got a kid crying in the background. My dog's trying to get in on the pocket. It's okay. <laughs> Nobody cares. <laughs> but, yeah, so in boxing, by the time you take somebody pro, you've already gone through this amateur training. But nothing like that exists in MMA yet. Yeah. Well, you know, you look like a fellow that might be positioned to, to, to start a program like that. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Somebody uh, ought know, to do someday. it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, that might tie in with uh, uh, the second article that you sent me uh, uh, about the uh, – can you tell us a little bit more about that? About uh, You were very disappointed that there weren't any other coaches there. Right, right. This was um, earlier this year. As I mentioned before, New Jersey started the first uh, fellowship program for doctors in combat sports medicine. Right. And this was the very first combat sports medicine symposium. Uh, and it had four of the top fight doctors in the country uh, lecturing and uh, a rehab uh, specialist and uh, 
the commissioner, the, the New Jersey commissioner, the deputy attorney general, uh, Nick Lembo, everybody was speaking there. And uh, it was actually a very, very long day. It turned out to be a 12-hour day. And um, it started, they basically did a section on uh, neurological injuries, a section on uh, facial injuries, on orthopedic injuries, uh, and on infectious disease. Uh, and each one was, you know, a couple hours with uh, lots of examples and uh, how to diagnose and how to assess for, say, broken orbital bone of the eye and, right. you know, like little things like that. How, like, for example, counting teeth, you know, after, if somebody gets knocked out and they're missing some teeth, you should count the teeth because there have been uh, instances where oh, people man. have aspirated on their own tooth that went down their throat or something like that. Oof. Yeah, and, um, I, I, something else about breathing through your teeth. Is that a broken sinus bone or something that... Uh, say that one more time. I read oh, somewhere about uh, you could actually breathe through your... Like if you got a tooth knocked out and some of your facial bones crushed, you could actually be pulling air and fluids oh, through that the might be. socket. Wow. That that might very well be. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> so so the, the training was incredible. Yeah. Um, Thorough. And it brought up some really... There was there was a session on uh, controversial issues in combat sports, you know, and some of it you would expect like uh, TRT, therapeutic use of testosterone, which is the big thing right now. Right. And um, but uh, there were other things like, for example, transgender fighters. Like mm -hmm. most, like in New Jersey last year, the three transgender fighters requested a license to fight, mm -hmm. and so New Jersey had to develop a whole policy as to. Well, at what stage in the transgender process are you? Are you taking mm -hmm. testosterone? Are you going from female to male? Are you going from male to female? Right. Have you managed? You know, it's uh, so it's to come up with a whole policy about where you were in this process. Yeah. To, to determine who you would be able to fight, like another man or another woman, or you would have to wait or whatever. Right. Um, you know, and then of course there was, um, you know, the usual things like drugs and and uh, and marijuana usage and and stuff right. like that. Sorry, you got me all excited. <laughs> I, don't, I don't see it as a performance enhancer. I don't, no. I don't get it. Oh, really? yeah. <laughs> Wake that guy you know, up. It's time for him to fight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Well, you know, it's funny because, like, anybody who's been, a pro, been at a pro fight knows that there's no way, there's no way you're going to have a chance to smoke a joint before a fight. It's right. so, like all these guys that are testing positive, like Nick Diaz, like most recently, you know, it was tested that he it stays in your system like for joint. up to a month yeah exactly i mean when you show up to a the minute you show up for your fight the commit there's a commission official right next to you the whole time there's nothing's going to happen yeah you know? so no you you could you could have a cocaine and lsd party the night before and test clean the next day but you know yeah. you smoke a joint at a rock concert three weeks beforehand and oh we got you you know <laughs> yeah 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 it's a little so, biased so, yeah it's crazy man so but I invited um, – I asked Nick Lembo, who is the, the attorney general, who basically is sort of like the co-commissioner for New Jersey. They have uh, the commissioner who runs box, mostly boxing and, and then Nick runs sort of the MMA side of things. And I asked him, could I invite coaches to this? And he said, yeah, absolutely. And so I sent it out to my mailing list, literally about 2,000 people. Mm -hmm. And posted it all over Facebook, tweeted it, the whole thing, and mm -hmm. and not a single coach came besides Whoa. myself, and and Mike Constantino who was speaking there. Oh man, That's well, and it what, was what golden can, opportunity. Yeah, what can be done to get coaches more involved in this? I mean, it should be incentivized just by the fact that that you know the more knowledge they have, the safer they keep their fighters. 
the more fighters they'll have if their if their fighters do well and stay healthy. You know what? How do you get that message across to them that they need to get involved in this? That's a good question, man. I mean, like, well, in New York, we're we're still trying to get MMA legalized here, so it's sort of uh, <laughs> we're still we're still a couple of steps back. But yeah. in terms of uh, everybody else, it's uh, unfortunately, I think the that we're still we're a new sport still and we still have even the people who are just training for MMA as a sport like a boxer would train for a boxer right. i think there's still the uh this sort of feeling like the like the the martial arts master knows best like i know like why should i have to go to you know this and that and the other uh, thing mm-hmm. like i learned everything i need to learn and and i've been training i mean i see it all the time on forums from people you know, who sort of have this, I've been doing this for 30 years attitude, you know, and yeah. it's like, okay, but have you ever, you know, you you might be able to, you know, kick somebody's butt on a subway train, but that doesn't mean you know what to do when it comes to uh, training somebody for a fight. Right. Yeah, a sport fight, you know. Yeah. So it's it's hard. It's still a new sport. You know, I think, I think we're not going to see the kind of regulation that I would like to see in the amateurs until – uh, the professional world is completely unified, and and the pro, the pros are still not, you know. So we're still very much early in the process. So, in the end, it comes down to unfortunately the fighter making sure they're working with the right people if that's what they want to do and doing their research. Right. Well, mm-hmm. let. Oh, oh okay. sorry. Do you have a question? Eric? I was just going to say when you said unified, what do you mean unified in terms of what they see as being an important regulation or? Yeah, yeah. There's of all. Let's just take the United States. Of all fifty states, there are the two states with no commissions. You know, so they don't re- regulate. Then there's two states that it's still illegal because mm-hmm. they think it's 1993, like New York and Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Then right. the other forty, uh, the other forty-six states have they use the unified rules, which is sort of the. Um, the Association of Boxing Commissions adopted these rules that were modeled through a process. Of, you know, New Jersey was the first to to start these rules, and those rules were based on the California rules mm-hmm. uh, from year two thousand. And eventually, the uh, the Association of, Association of Boxing Commissions agreed: this is the rules. These are the rules we're going to use. Right. But that's only an advisory. You know, the Association of Boxing Commissions can't say to Colorado, you must do things this way. And so in Colorado, for example, or, you know, like I said before, what constitutes a ringside physician is different from state to state. Right. What constitutes uh, a mandatory suspension is different from state to state. Uh, What drug tests they'll do and how frequently is different Mm -hmm. from state to state. And um, all this, all this, all the, the fine details behind running an event are not all the same. So until you have sort of a ubiquitous agreement, like right. this is the way it's going to be, true standard. then we're still growing. I mean, when you talk to a commission official, it's sort of like the cops in the blue wall of silence. They're very unwilling to say, well, XYZ commission is is pretty slack. You know, they don't want to badmouth another commission. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, but the bottom line is some commissions are horrible uh-huh. in their oversight, and some are really fantastic. Um, is, so yeah, is the there professional any, sorry, I talked over you there. No, that's okay. That's okay. <clears throat> is there, is there any, 
Is there anyone out there doing any actual scientific research on this so to maybe work towards that overarching standard? Uh, some real statistics, collecting the data from all these different places? Oh, come here. <laughs> hey, Say hi to the robot. We might yeah. edit this part out. Say hi, look. Hi. Say hi. All right. Hello. Go, go find mommy. I'll be right out. <laughs> we usually record during his nap, but we miss that window thanks to Michael oh, yeah. Fluffle here. <laughs> so, there, yeah, as far as a, a movement towards a, an overall standard, there's definitely movements, but it's. I think it's going to – unfortunately, I think something is going to have to happen you know, like a lot of times, you have to hit bottom before you make a change. Right. And probably something really bad is going to have to happen before people wake up. Well, I mean, now, only now, look how long. Oh, oh no, we just lost your sky. Boxing's been around, right? Okay, you're well, back. Can you hear me? Yeah, you, 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 good? you zapped out for a second, but you're back. Go for it. Oh, look okay, at cool. Something? Look at I was going to say, only now, after the long history of boxing, is Congress talking about a national governing body as opposed to individual state bodies, you right. know? That's true. So it takes a long time. It takes yeah. a long time. Well, you know, there's so much more of this stuff that I would love to talk to you about, but uh, we're running up on about 45 minutes for the interview, and uh, I don't want to keep you on that long. Would you uh, be willing to agree to kind of be our go-to guy when we have questions on stuff like this? Oh, yeah, of course, man. Definitely. Awesome. All right. Well, that, that makes sure we got access to you in the future because there's, there's definitely more stuff <clears throat> we'd like to cover. Um, sure. And before we let you go, I wanted to give you just a minute or two. I know this isn't a straight-up full-on interview like we usually do, but, it, you know, if you have yeah. any feet of clay stories you'd like to share with us, we'll take them. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I had lunch with my wife today, and I said, they're going to ask me at the end, like, a, a story or something. i got to come up with some stories. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, She probably had a couple a fun, she could tell. I, I, you know, it's like, I was like, oh, which one do I choose? And uh, I, could, I can give you... One of my favorite moments as a martial arts instructor, because I, I consider myself a martial arts instructor first sure. and a MMA coach second, you know. Well, but um, one time, I, a student of mine, his name is Bao, uh, he came to class and handed me a box cutter. And he said, here, this is for you. And I was like, what's this for? He goes, I just took it off the guy that attacked me last night on the subway. And nice. I was like, wow. wow. He goes... I said, tell me what happened. He was on the, on the subway late at night going home. He was the only guy in the car. This other, uh, the, this other dude comes in the car, sits right next to him. That's always uh, trouble if yeah, it's an empty right? car yeah. and the guy sits right next <laughs> oh, to you. Shit. Yeah, it's either, either like you're going you're gonna to tell me I'm cute or you know, you're going to pull a knife <laughs> out or something. It's one or the other. So <laughs> yeah. He sits right next to him, and he didn't tell him he was cute. So he, he, he actually pressed him against the the back of the seat with the one arm right and took out the box cutter with the other said give me your you know your wallet your money whatever and bow just did real classic kind of pin the guy's knife arm to his own body mm -hmm. clocked him in the face the guy fell to the uh the floor he kneeled on the the knife arm kneeled on it and just pounded the guy in the face until uh <laughs> he naturally opened up his hand and dropped the knife and then uh <laughs> he took it and just got off at the next stop and left the guy there and he was very lucky he didn't get cut. You yeah, know, was, totally. um, that that was like my the blessing in this whole thing for me was like he didn't get cut. But uh, yeah, but as just as a martial arts instructor, that was my favorite story. You know, you never know. Even if you hand over the wallet and everything else, they still might cut you for the fun of it. So. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and you know, you train long enough, and 
you, you kind of get really good at sensing people, you know, yeah. and you'll know right away this guy has bad intentions. You know, he's you can tell when somebody's coming at you and they're more afraid than you are yeah. or whether they just are nuts and yeah. they don't really care. Yeah. Forced into a bad act by a bad circumstance in their life or something rather than being purely predatory. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. But a funny story just happened last week at the fights in Philly. Okay. Uh, and so Tony, my student Tony, his name is Anthony Popola. This was his second fight. He's 2-0 and now. He got hit pretty hard in the fight. And um, he, is, you know, after the fight, the, the doctor is in the cage, has him sit down. He's giving him the exam, you know, look at my eye, watch my finger. Right. How are you feeling? You took some pretty serious shots there. And uh, in a much more colorful way, Tony looks up at the doctor. He goes, it doesn't feel like I just got a BJ. <laughs> the commission official, the doc, and he didn't say BJ, but the commission official, the doctor, the referee, they just started cracking up, and it was so funny. Tony's hysterical. The, his last fight, he, it was televised on local television upstate New York, and they're interviewing him after the win, and he's like, Buffalo, it took me three years to get here to fight to you. I hope you'll all meet me at the after party at McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> McNuggets yeah, for everyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. But he, he's a funny dude, man. He's really funny. Oh. And, and he, you know, and honestly, he kind of represents like the heart and soul of this, of the, the, the MMA community. You know, it's not all, everybody thinks of the UFC, but you look in New Jersey, last year, New Jersey had 37 fights uh, sanctioned fights and only one was a UFC, you know, the rest oh, were, yeah. you know, B level shows and regional shows and stuff. And guys like Tony who works for, you know, the gas company he's a construction worker, has a family and stuff and just does this cause he likes to do it. That's really what the, what the community is all about. You know, it's not, it's not all, you know, the Chuck Liddell's and the, and the uh, Fedor Millionenko's are like the, the 0.1% of the community. Right. And the rest of the people are out there just like us doing it because they love it. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, it has been fantastic to talk with you, Steve, and I've really enjoyed this. And I have a feeling we'll be talking to you again before long because uh, you've got your finger on the pulse of a lot of stuff that being more traditionalist than otherwise over here, we, we just, you know, and again, there's not that big a separation between what we do, but it, the, the, the sporting stuff is just out of my ballywick because I haven't done it. Right, and right. I, I don't want to shoot my mouth off all the time speculating. I'd rather ask somebody who might actually have a good answer. <laughs> well, so, my answer may not be so good, but it sounds good, I guess. <laughs> hey, it sounds fine to me. Yeah. That, that yeah. works. Uh, so thanks a million for coming on. Uh, we really appreciate it. Hey, it's my pleasure, man. I, I really look forward to it. You have a great show. So I, I've been pushing it to everybody that I can. And we really appreciate that, too. So uh, thanks for all your help. Okay, so we're back, folks. We're actually recording the wrap-up to this podcast a solid week after we did the uh, the interview mm -hmm. that started it off. 
Thanks again to Stephen Kepfer for doing that. Awesome. Awesome yeah. interview. Awesome I'm actually, guy. It's been long enough now. I'm looking forward to listening to it again when we actually put the podcast out. Definitely. As you can hear, I still got my main man, Aaron Martin, in the house. Hello, everybody. And you're about to get to listen to us take our last shot of his vacation. So, <laughs> cheers. Cheers. Down the hatch without a scratch. Mm. Oh. Mm, so smooth. That's almost medicine. <laughs> ah, now I gotta chase that back a little. Yeah. Ah. Yeah, we've had a lot of fun. It's been chaos around here, <laughs> which is why we're just getting around to this. <laughs> we actually recorded a little folder all at the party after the initial broadcast, but oh yeah, if you hear any of that, folks, that's going to be slipped into the uh, the back end after the music here and there, maybe a for a decoration. Little, yeah, for a little mm-hmm. comedic value. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were woo yeah. <laughs> number of different topics. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so anyway, we thought we would pop back in here though, just to round this one out. And uh, the recording is going to sound a little funny because we got the mics uh, amped up and we're kind of whispering to each other because uh-huh, we're in the house and everyone's asleep. Mm-hmm. It's the after hours recording. So, yeah. So we're not going to keep this going for too long, but we thought we would throw in since we just so happened to have seen two of the same movies. A little media mop-up edition. Mm-hmm. Now, before we move on to that, what did we just watch? Uh, Batman, the uh, the Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, and we're not going to go Rise off of the get... Dark Knight. Did I even say that right? Dark Knight lifts up, lifts. Uh, levitates. Uh, <laughs> levitates in his little little bee ship. Yeah, he's got, got a bit of a hovercraft in this one. Yes, it's quite interesting. Yep. <laughs> All in all, I thought it was a great movie. Yeah, but, uh, it was fun. We're not going to review it because everybody who actually reviews movies is taking care of that. I'll just say I enjoyed it. It wouldn't really qualify as a martial arts movie anyway. No. But I certainly recommend all you action fans get out and see it. Yes. And it was well done and kind of dark without falling too far off the edge. Right, right. And, of course, I don't even want to broach the subject at this point of the theater shootings and all oh, that stuff. yeah. Shooting, yeah. shootings, I don't know, plural, yeah. but one theater. Right. So condolences to anyone involved in that, but mm-hmm. crazy things happen. Yeah. Especially in a country with right. as many guns as it wants anytime it wants them. Oh, we, we overheard on the radio today that uh, Christian Bale actually and his wife went to one of the hospitals where those people were staying at and uh, visited them. And yeah, they did. Spent some time with them on his own, on his own watch and, and so on. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, you're fine. Okay. I was just moving that pop filter. Because <laughs> uh, we're so up on the mics, it's going to come through a lot. Uh, all right, right. Yeah. Right, right. Um, so I was I was impressed by that. I was like, oh, that, that he's I was a stand-up kind of guy. Yeah, he's a wacky sort of guy. I mean, I think he was, he got punched out by a security guard in China not too long ago for oh, something. Wow. <laughs> I'll have to look that back being up, though. Oh, that would be yeah, interesting. I don't think it was being a dick, but it was, it was kind of a case of sticking his nose in where... Mm. The only reason he might have thought it belonged there was he's a big celebrity. I'm an actor. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm talking through my hat, though, because I can't really remember the circumstances. But anyway, out. let's go on with the two little movies we are going to talk about. Um, let me warm up the old uh, Sparkle Box. Sparkle Box. Answer me a question. Show me a video. Okay. This should sound better than previous trailers, too. I think I've figured out... How to stream it in there? Uh, I know. Why aren't you doing it? Oh, come on. 
My cratchety old computer. It's like, you made me sleep, and it's hard for me to wake up. (laughs) Should we start talking a little bit about the movie, maybe? Yeah. While it's doing the warm-up? So the, uh... The YouTube we're trying to get right now is a trailer, or the trailer for Haywire. Oh, and, and you're here just, comes the green. You're just about to hear it. Hopefully you're an appropriate audience. Turn that so you can see it there, buddy. Thank you. Thank you. He said to come pick you up. Hey, aren't you're you really tanning Chatham? <laughs> is this 21 Jump Street? Yeah. You're really not getting in the car, are you? Where's the fat guy? (laughs) Damn, he smacked her. She is our nation's most valuable weapon. I'll say. She's kicking ass. It's pretty cool. And she takes a hit. Negotiations broke down. We just need somebody to go and get the guy. Wow, that's actually real? Well, sort of. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they trusted her. I have an assignment. Looks like a paid holiday. Diplomatic plates. It is an emergency. Slap them on. You want me to be eye candy? You guys would be like the perfect. I am the most interesting man in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Did they betray her? Paul? Is the divorce final? Ewan McGregor being a shady motherfucker. Yep. Spoiler Nine. alert. <laughs> it's in the Barcelona damn trailer. Yeah. Down. <laughs> Fix it. You can tell me right now why you sold me out, or you can tell me when I have my hands around your throat. You should be in her father's living room telling him that his daughter killed a man in cold blood. Keep your eyes open. I haven't shed my eyes since you were born. This January. Keep your head down. Finding the truth. Should I be nervous? I'll let you know. What do you know about her? She was a Marine. She does something. There must be a reason for it. Will be her most dangerous mission. She's a public threat. What did you do? I did what I was contracted to do. But isn't there someone you should be calling to bring help? You better run. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> okay, so. <There> <laughs> yeah. It's fun. I I'm actually still enjoyed the trailer just watching that for a few moments. You know, this movie has a lot of good things going for it. Uh, Gina Carano, not the least of them, because uh, she's not bad on the eyes, no. but she looks, she's believable doing all this stuff because <laughs> I think she can actually do a lot of it. Yeah, I'm not sure how much like there was a stunt double or or not. A very little for anybody yeah. in this film. Um, you know, Ewan McGregor and um, Michael Fassbender had to do their own stunts in this. Excellent. It was like that whole fight with Fassbender in the hotel room. Oh, good. It was. It was all them. Film. Yep. It's awesome. Yeah, and he takes a pretty hard pratfall over that table at one point. So. <laughs> Michael Fassbender's on a roll. Channing yeah. Tatum, too. So it's got big stars in it right Definitely. now. Big, big stars. Michael and, Douglas, Antonio mm-hmm. Banderas. I don't know if uh, if those two guys are exactly on a roll anymore. But, no, but, but they're still names. real. And, of course, the director is Steven Soderbergh, mm-hmm. who might be the last person you'd expect to try this. But, of course, he's got his Ocean's Eleven and his other 
right. thrillers in his back pocket. Yeah. It's not all the girlfriend experiment. <laughs> but uh, that's the thing. He makes thrillers. So if you're looking for a straight-out martial arts movie, which I think some people might be from the trailers, oh, this yeah. is way no, more in the James Bond kind of spy yeah. story territory. Yeah. Um, and while the fights are good, I think one of the weird things for an action movie is that the fights kind of petered out in the last third of the film. Yes. The the big set pieces stay in front of that thing, buddy. Yeah, <laughs> the big set pieces were uh were all in the first two thirds of the film. The big fights, the rest the diner fight, the you know, the yeah. the fast bender thing, which again I, I would feel like I was spoiling something if they didn't ruin that in the trailer. Yeah, they so, show you most of it. Yeah. <laughs> so if you hadn't seen the trailer and hadn't watched it yet we only half ruined it because you couldn't really see what was going on. <laughs> right. so if you haven't seen it and you're interested, just go watch the movie. Yeah. No, it's definitely worth watching, though. It has its moments, and I, I like a good Soderbergh film. You know, I've, I've liked a lot of his stuff all the way since Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, you know, there's always stuff in there worth watching. There's some weirdness in here, too, though. Definitely. Big and- plot holes. Like, um, for one thing, why pick up the kid in the diner? He's got a car she's obviously capable of driving. Right, just throw him out. Why? Yeah. yeah, either you're worried about you know the civilian and you don't want him in there, or you just don't want him in there because he's a hindrance. But yeah, I don't see quite, the point of that kid in the plot. No, I didn't quite get that either. And uh, just for her to, just, you know, they can move the story along, get her history, have her re- someone that she's telling the story to. Yeah, and Banderas was basically just. Uh, Ripping off the most interesting man in the universe from the Heineken commercials. Totally, totally. (laughs) Or Dos Equis. Or Or Dos Equis. Yeah, well, I don't always drink whatever beer you just named. But when I do, (laughs) I get stinking drunk. I get hella drunk. Uh, (laughs) Got my little narcalism coming out there. Yeah. uh, So, yeah, the fighting was good. They, they, or he... mm, he did a lot of kind of experimental stuff. Like all the fight scenes, there was no music. All you hear is them, the foley of them fighting each other and, and, and grunting and moaning and so on, um, which is interesting and kind of weird. Um, I like that. Yeah, I, it, it, it gave it a little more realistic. If quality. you're going for realism, then... Because yeah. the fights are pretty, they're pretty awesome. Yeah, they're pretty good. no gritty. strings or green screens or anything like that. Yeah. You know, there's some improbable moves, but nothing that couldn't actually work. Right. Best best case scenario. <laughs> but some weird stuff still, like, you know, that was just for attitude, like whipping that one guy's butt in the hallway and then just stopping to drop the steel door on him. <laughs> right. It's like, that's not really going to hurt that guy that much, especially not compared to the ass whipping you just put on him. It's Are true. you just doing that to look like a badass? <laughs> you know? Yeah. That sort of breaks that fourth wall a little for me. Yeah. But- yeah. You know, if you're gonna make it gritty, make it gritty, gritty. Right. But then again, you know, I love the raid, for instance, mm-hmm. which you haven't seen, but you got to get out there and see. Oh, it. Right. right. And right, it right. was, you know, realistic slash unrealistic. It paid homage to tropes that I really enjoy. Whereas this one, you know, didn't so much. She never had the big fight against the multiple bad guys. Most of that was just running away, which right. you know, yeah, right. kind of realistic. realistic. Right. Yeah. <laughs> get out of there. But you know, not necessarily as enjoyable as maybe you know, just definitely. Turning on heel and swatting some people around. <laughs> it's it's a only Batman movie. for that. You know? Yeah. <laughs> there wasn't, you know, I, I did like the fact in Batman that a couple of the main fights were just hand to hand brawls. They weren't right. really martial arts choreographed either no. that much. It was just <laughs> who can thug the other guy the hardest? <laughs> 
pound your face in. Yeah. They could have given Catwoman a little more to do in that department, but, you know. It's true. But I like I liked the actress's portrayal. So. She did a much better job than I was expecting. I was like, she usually does the mild-mannered thing. I just don't know how she's going to pull it off, and I was, I was impressed. Yeah. Well, the, you know, this reminds me of an axiom they have on one of my favorite film podcasts, so if you like that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. you're not going to really get it here. Mm-hmm, right. <laughs> but uh, go check out Film Sack. <laughs> But they talk about movies, and if they realize they spend more time talking about other movies than the movie they watched, which we just started to segue out of, Mm -hmm. then it's probably not their favorite movie. We'll be editing that portion out. (laughs) No, we won't. (laughs) Because it says something about Haywire. I can't really gush about the movie. No. But, you know, watch it once at least. There's good fights. There's good good stuff in there. And, and, you know, and the, the thriller plot hangs together mostly, I think. Right, but I definitely came out of there kind of underwhelmed. Like, uh, okay, well, I could go see another movie now. Something yeah, a little more a little spicy, more filling. yeah. Right, <laughs> or just watch the fights over and over again on YouTube. Is yeah. that you know they're 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 pretty good. But I, I would love to see her blossom. Maybe she'd take some more acting classes. She was a little dry. Yeah, I think she's yeah. right in the pocket there with women like Zoe Bell, who I think can actually kick some ass and and act a little bit mm-hmm. and do stunts. She's definitely got potential. Yeah, Gina Carano. So get out there and support her. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'm um, not talking shit to cut her no, down. No, no, we're definitely not trying to no. cut her down. I, I might wanna, run into her someday and she'd break my nose or something. Yeah, I know, right? Please don't kick my ass. <laughs> she could always put me in that leg scissor in the dress. Oh, there you, you know. go. I'd fight my way out of that, I think. <laughs> <laughs> or die smiling. <laughs> anyway, so moving along, we got something that definitely is a little spicier. Mm-hmm. Um, Hang on a second, and we'll let you check this bad boy out. Yeah. A little spicier, a little um, more fantastic. You know, we're going to hold this because they're going to make me skip an ad in five, four, three, two, one. Oh, and it's the Batman ad. What do you know? I said skip ad. Boom, boom, boom. Definitely lots of music yeah, in Batman. The last thing that Hans movie Zimmer. needs is more advertising. Yeah. I think they worked it out pretty well. Here we go. Gangbusters, cowboy in a world without guns, and a samurai with no sword, team up to defeat a common evil. We're here to challenge Nicholas Reign in the name of the people. Kill them all. In a city without any logical structure. <laughs> and really amazing lighting. Yeah. Everything except my freedom. The honorable men. <laughs> they die hard. But they still die. The hero is not always the strongest man. Sometimes it's just the guy who leads the way. And posing. <laughs> You're the most powerful man east of the Atlantic. I like the bowler hat guy. Yeah, number two. There's always someone more powerful than you.
Horror The Beast. Yeah. <laughs> and Demi Moore, The Beast is. <laughs> Life's not all about fighting. Come on now. You know that ain't true. Boom Raku. That's right, folks. Boom Raku. Just watched that the other night. I, yeah, just watched it about a week and a half ago. It was pretty awesome. I think it's cool as shit, but I can totally see how there's a lot of people out there that would not like this movie at all. Oh, definitely. It's a big, huge mashup of different tropes and genres. Postmodern to the extreme. Yes. And uh, so don't go... And it's set up like a fairy tale. You know, I noticed in the credits, I should probably IMDB this. When when you're talking, I'll lean over and see if I can do it, if I have enough juice left in the box. Mm -hmm. But the guy that did the narration is somebody involved with some old band. It's like oh. Gibby Haynes from the Buttholster or somebody like that. It's okay. not him, but it, uh-huh. I saw the name. I'm like, oh, that's who was narrating. It's set up uh-huh. as a fable. Yeah, no, yeah, totally from the inside out, even. But you know, it's hyper stylized. It's great. It's like the whole archetypal like East and West together in the you know the post apocalyptic future. It, it's it's right. fun. Although it was totally unclear how any of that worked. Oh, yeah. Like, there was no rationale. They, 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 they do a, it like a loose historical. Yeah, like a thing. little animation thing, and the title sort of sets it up, but not really. Right. I mean, it's post apocalypse. Everyone's there. No one has guns. It's yeah. all run by some warlord. They take all the guns game. away and give them swords because the guns were too much. Right. But it's I'm like somebody with cool. bigger guns had to take those away. <laughs> they're but, all gone, man. Just okay. They're all gone. Yeah, but. You know, plot holes in this case are not the worst thing that could happen to you because it's really all about setting up the this genre mashup with all these tropes. And they really, the way they stylized uh, the fighting, you know, the Japanese guy was Mr. really, Aikido. whatever his name is, Gacked. Gacked, I know. I just, I was like, Gacked, that's what his name was? Yeah, that's too many consonants in the wrong order in that name. But, but he, was, uh, he was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and you know, he had the nice fluid fighting style and, mm-hmm. and the, the gunslinger guy was basically just fast with his fist, fist but yeah. uh, I'll spoil a little bit of it. The first time he actually gets into something, he walks into a bar and a little trouble starts and he turns around and one guy steps up to him and he punches him pow, super fast <laughs> and super hard in the face and kills him. <laughs> the guy just drops dead. And then the next guy steps up and he Wow, he kills him with another punch, and everybody else is like, "Okay, Ooh, right. we're just gonna—we're not even gonna try that." <laughs> I thought that was a good setup. Death punch. You usually don't just flat kill a guy with your first <laughs> punch in an action movie. Yeah, under unless you got you know special circumstances or something. Yeah, you don't, you don't have to whisper that much, buddy. Uh, I think the air conditioning units in the room are covering for us. All right, we're trying to make sure the little one stays asleep and. Uh, he's in there with mommy. He'll be fine. And mommy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and my father-in-law's in the house too, sleeping in the other bedroom. <laughs> yeah. The late night two in the well, two something in the morning. Oh, I know that Batman movie is so long. Oof. And you know we got to get up and do class in the morning too before we put you on a plane. Oh, so, this is right. 
you know, we're going to keep this tight. But um, aside from saying just jump out there if you like the kind of thing we're describing and maybe you enjoyed the way like uh, Sin City or 300 looked. Yeah, go see Bunaku for sure. Plus see it for a bunch of cameos. Demi Moore's in it, still looking a little saucy. You got Ron Perlman. You got uh, Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson playing a bartender. He did a really good job of that. Great. Yeah. This didn't get any kind of release in America. Yeah. That I know of, I'd never yeah. heard of it till yeah. I saw it pop up on Netflix streaming. Yeah. I think I remember seeing like one, you know, a, uh, yeah, advertisement. But and even based on the heavy. poster art and the descriptions that I've read, I wasn't going to watch it. But uh, I'll name tag him if I remember. Joseph Burtner, he's got the Northwest Georgia Scholarly Punching Association on Facebook. You can look Scholarly that up. Scholarly Punching, I will look that up. Yeah, it sounds good. Mm-hmm. And. uh he he popped out on Facebook with I just watched Bunraku and and loved it and evidently a lot of people didn't. <laughs> He's probably going around raving about it. People are like oh that thing that stupid movie. Yeah, well it is a stupid movie, but, but I thought it was stupid good fun. It's great. It's like a it's a live action comic book. Yeah. So if you're into that kind of thing, I'll tell you what, it's worth it. Watch it on Netflix streaming, and if you don't like it, I'll give you your money back. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not for your month of streaming or anything. Just, I'll, just I'll, for that movie. You know, if you're really serious, mail me a nickel. I mean, mail me, give, give me your address and I'll mail you a nickel for the, the, the time you wasted on your monthly subscription there. Damn it. Watch that. I mean, there, there might be a, a thousand people listening to this podcast by now for lucky, but I bet I'll get a, a million postcards requesting a nickel in the nickel. next month. I know, yeah. right. And then I'll Why be bankrupt and that? all this will be, yeah. Yeah. Boy, you really got to watch run in your mouth. Mm-hmm. I tell you what. <laughs> um, so this is terrible for that. So yeah, <laughs> check out Ben Rako. Uh Aaron, it's great to have you in the house. Uh, riding good along to be for this here. episode. Yeah, yeah, it's been a good time here in the uh, the OK Corral at the Joneses too. Indeed. And you're coming back down for the big old timer seminar. Yes. Shortly. Looking forward to it. Just a few short weeks. Yeah. Maybe we'll hear from you again, or we'll at least get a oh, we'll yeah. get a report on that. When I'm it comes only a around. Skype away. That's yeah. right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we got to talk some uh, about that Persian system. Maybe we can hook us up with the guy up there because yeah. that looks like really interesting stuff. Definitely. The Bard. Very fun. Yeah. Well, all right. We're going to enjoy our last 30 minutes or so before sleeping uh, without a microphone in yeah. our face. But y'all out there in high y'all land, you're not going to get the scream out this time. We'll just uh, demurely Little. bat our eyes and say, <sighs> bye y'all. <laughs> bye y'all.
Well, um, you know, we've broken our hour mark. Is there anything anybody else wants to throw in here? It's uh, it's good times to have a bunch of friends around. It's the first time we've ever thrown a bunch of microphones in front of them. So, well, people, this is not a segment per se. This is just what you get for the rest of the show. <laughs> time to time, you'll get the party Wait, schedule. Did we finish our SAP conversation? Man, you know, what I did want to say about that SAP versus blackjack is is the one thing, you know, I was a kid when uh, when when I, I saw this weapon for the first time. It's one of the things that actually interested me in martial arts is I was like, they actually build things like this to, to aid you in beating the fuck out of somebody. So I, I just... Yeah, that's the point of the whole thing. I mean, thing. it is the point of the whole thing. So, you know, if there's some, some, some uh, inaccuracy in... You know what I'm explaining to you. I'm pretty sure that I've got pretty much dialed in exactly what I was holding my hand at 12 years old, and that thing was mean. It felt it was mean. It was serious. It was serious as a fucking heart attack. And that was the thing. And and man, it mysteriously disappeared. And that's that's the interesting thing. I, I, you know, and I had heard illegal when conversations were talked about. You know, oh yeah, they're not legal. No, definitely not legal. But it all still, we don't have any of those anymore. Wooden nunchucks aren't legal. Yeah, I know. I mean, you know, you can go and and you know, I wish every criminal on the planet was forced to own a pair of nunchucks. (laughs) And yeah, to come at me with him because I'm just going to walk backwards back. until he kills himself. Yeah, that's exactly right. Exactly right. That's why I don't Duck like 